Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. And we've got a really great episode in store for everyone today. For those listening in the future, we are recording this on Wednesday, 26th of April, 2023. Interesting times in the markets, fair to say, and interesting times in the capital markets in particular. And I think that's going to be particularly relevant for today's revenue leader who joins me in the hot seat. Delighted to be joined by Jonah Mandel. Jonah is the VP of Sales and Customer Success at CapChase. CapChase, for those who are not familiar, is the most flexible, non-dilutive funding for your subscription-based SaaS business. Jonah, welcome on to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast and delighted to have you on the show today. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. You're joining me today from New York. You and I were just chatting about your experiences in London. Sounds like you're doing quite a lot of transatlantic travel at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm based in New York City, right here in Flatiron. I'm actually in a little box phone booth in our office. But yeah, half my team is based in London. The other half is based here in in New York City. And per our previous conversation, I'm doing the Indian restaurant circuit every time I'm not in London. It's Indian food three, four nights a week. It's a lengthy circuit. There's lots of food to be eaten and lots of amazing restaurants. Jonah, I'm excited for the conversation today. You've got an amazing career journey so far in revenue leadership. Also really curious, as I mentioned at the top of the show, thinking about the the kind of current capital markets and speaking as a founder myself, I know how difficult it is raising equity funding at the moment. So really interested to learn more about what you guys have got going on at CapChase. For the listeners who either haven't connected with you before, if you wouldn't mind walking us through, what's your story been today? I mean, how did you get into sales? How did you enter sales leadership? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting journey. So I went to college in Boston, started a couple small businesses. I was always very entrepreneurial. I think you hear this from a lot of sales leaders, whether they had a lemonade stand when they were growing up or they had a newspaper route that might be a little old school for for our generation, but started a couple small businesses in college, everything from a cleaning service on Boston University's campus to a loyalty card. You know, I noticed I was doing everything from the accounting, the business development, the sales, partnership efforts, et cetera. The part I enjoyed most was going door to door, meeting with prospects, convincing them that this was the best solution to help them grow their business. And that thrill really got me out of bed in the morning. So as an entrepreneur, very much on a small scale, that was the part that I enjoyed about it the most. I was actually an accounting major in college with a nice a nice push from my father saying that he wouldn't support paying for college if I majored in entrepreneurship. It had to be finance or accounting. And I really struggled with accounting and felt like it was a bit isolating, didn't meet with a lot of people face to face. And again, back to the the entrepreneurial spirit, I knew sales was for me. So with that being said, my first sales role was at Square in the Boston area, really going door to door, meeting with small business owners. And this is back in 2010 when Square was relatively early and mobile payments was relatively a novel concept to small businesses and going door to door, convincing people that. Square was a better solution. So that was my first step into sales. And a lot of that was was door-to-door. From there, I transitioned to a competitor of Square called Shopkeep. 
Square offered me a promotion, but had to move out to the Bay Area. All my friends' family were, were on the East Coast, so I decided to stay local. Worked for a competitor called Shopkeep, also a point-of-sale provider. Did some credit card processing. That was where I got my first step into management. I'll give a very kind of brief overview of, of how that happened. So we had about 40 account executives at Shopkeep. We had four or five BDRs. And being that mobile payments was such a competitive space, time to first contact on inbound leads was crucial. And the problem that we ran into, again, 40 account executives, five BDRs, average demo was over an hour. And we'd have inbound leads coming in and just sitting there for hours. Their cookies were all over the internet. And if we didn't get to them, our competitors would get to them faster. So I went to my manager one day and I said, hey, I think that our structure should be flipped. And we should have more BDRs, less account executives. And he's like, hey, you know what? Good idea. Come to me with a plan. I want to see it tomorrow. So I put a plan together. He agreed with it. Two days later, I was in front of the CEO walking him through my proposal on why I think that if we speed up our time to first contact from 45 minutes to under five minutes, we'll beat our competition to those inbound leads. We'll close more deals. And two weeks later, I was promoted from senior account executive to BDR manager and grew the team from four BDRs to just under 20 in under six months. So that was my first step into management. And then from there, grew into leadership roles at Alibaba, leading the go-to-market team in North America, and now the VP of sales and customer success at CapChase. Amazing. What a cool ride. And I love that story about that leap that you made into the leadership. It sounds like it was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, I think that in sales specifically, if your team is not growing by five or 10 individual contributors every six months, I rarely see someone just tap an IC on the shoulder and say, hey, here's your promotion into management. I think the advice I got early in my career is if you want the job, do the job before you get it or ask for the opportunity and come with a very clear buttoned up plan as to why you deserve the opportunity. So I definitely put a lot of thought into leadership and management before I was given that opportunity. Totally. And it, it makes me think about the types of characteristics we often look for as leaders in our sales teams, right? And we talk so much around curiosity. And I know one of the values we look for at UHubs is like ownership, particularly at earlier stage companies. Like how can you hire a team of people who really want to take ownership for their work and drive things forwards? I think your story is just a fantastic example there, Jonah, of how you really did own it. You saw an opportunity to make an improvement and plucked up the courage and confidence to take it forwards. Yeah, totally. I think that it's easy to come up with problems or things that are not going well for your organization. I always look when I promote people into management roles, it's like, great, you diagnose the problem. Have you put some thought into the solution and how we roll this out and how this impacts the bottom line of the organization? And very fortunate to say, especially in my current role here at, at CapChase, I have a lot of folks on my team that are great at diagnosing problems and they always come to the table with a solution. And that's very much something that I try to do when working with our CEO. And I also look for that characteristic or trait when promoting people internally. Spot on. And I wonder whether you've got any practical advice on that point, Jonah, around how to best identify that potential in your team members, because I get it, right? There's a million and one fires to be put out as a revenue leader, particularly in today's market. Having team members that can actually bring solutions to you and just take one more thing off your plate shows great potential. If you think about the teams that you've built and the companies you've worked at, are there any kind of like consistent trends or themes that you've seen that have been kind of leading indicators of success for those you've hired? I look to hire folks and build teams that have individuals that are entrepreneurial 
They want to help me create the process. So that is very much something that I interview for people that want to build a process. They don't want to come in to an organization where everything is buttoned up, everything is figured out, and all they have to do is is optimize for, for conversion. So that's on the hiring side. The other piece of it is I always try to loop in different people into side projects or projects that are outside of their day-to-day scope. And those start as very small projects. And then as the team members earn the right or show me that they're going to build out the process, they're going to follow up with me on next steps and progress reports. And I don't have to chase them for the little things. I try to put small projects in front of everybody on the team see how we work well together on those kind of side projects that are outside of their day-to-day KPIs, and then grow from there into larger projects, into management roles, et cetera. Love that. And it, it makes me reflect on the point you made just before that, which is doing the job before you've got the job. I know for a fact, we have a bunch of listeners who are in IC roles, looking to make that move into leadership quite often, trying to perhaps move a bit too quickly before they've sort of honed and built up a core set of skills. Talk us just through that very briefly, if you will, Jonah, like what did your kind of ascent look like? Anything that's worked really well for you in terms of learning those leadership skills as you've grown your career? Yeah, I think the number one thing, and this goes back to the the journey, but when I was at Shopkeep and I got that BDR manager job, you know, BDR manager role is is a relatively junior level management role, right? You're dealing with entry-level sales folks, a lot of people, it's their first job. Part of that promotion I asked to be part of a a cross-functional meeting that included marketing. And I guess the overall theme early in my management career is I asked to have a seat at the table for every cross-functional meeting. And I said, hey guys, like I, you know what? I haven't earned the right to talk in most of these, but I want to listen in and learn as much as possible. And what I'll tell you is, you know, I sat there and I listened to marketing leaders talk about conversion rates, talk about different copy changes on advertisements. And that very much helped me get my job at Alibaba. You know, I'll I'll be the first one to tell you that when I sat in that interview room for that director of sales at Alibaba, a lot of the stuff that I spoke to, I was not responsible for deploying that at Shopkeep, but because I sat in the room, I could speak to the metrics. I could speak to how we rolled those things out, how we tested them. The leadership team in Alibaba had a lot of confidence in me, but if I didn't ask to have a seat at the table and listen in to how our VP of marketing thought about it how our CRO thought about adding headcount in different regions, then there's no way I would have gotten that job. So to sum it up, I would just say like, when you can ask to be a fly on the wall and listen in on those conversations and learn as much as possible. Because when I interviewed for that role at Alibaba, a lot of what I spoke to, I had very little involvement in outside of just listening. Amazing. So that's a fantastic golden nugget right there. Just having a seat at the table, putting yourself forward and learning through observing what's going on around you. Amazing stuff. I'd love to come back and talk a bit about team structure and how you think about setting up in your current role at CapChase. I'd love to learn more about the business that you're building currently, very relevant for the current market that we're in. Capital market's been pretty challenging, it's fair to say, past six months. Help us understand a bit more about CapChase. So high level, we've raised over 900 million to provide flexible, non-dilutive financing to founders. And that's a fancy way of saying we work strictly with B2B SaaS companies and we essentially give them cash to grow. The alternatives are venture debt, going back to your investors and taking on more dilutive capital. That's our core business. We've been doing that now for almost three years. We're the leader in revenue-based financing. About three months ago, we launched a new product called CapChase Pay. It's important to know like why we launched this product. 
When we work with SaaS businesses on the non-dilutive growth capital piece, these SaaS businesses link up their banking, their accounting, and their billing. So we have a lot of data on these SaaS businesses. And what we've noticed is over the last 10, 12 months, sales cycles are two, three X longer than they were a year ago. And a lot of that is there's more scrutiny in every deal. CFOs are getting involved in deals, software purchases, which historically they wouldn't have. Now we launch CapChase Pay. And what this is, it's essentially a solution that allows vendors to offer flexible payment options to their clients. So to give an example, if I work for Salesforce and I'm trying to sell you, Matt, on signing up for Salesforce, I would say, hey, Matt, it's $40,000 pay up front. There's no monthly option. There's no quarterly. Work with your finance team. You got to figure out how to pay 40K up front. That adds time to the sales cycle that risks me, the salesperson at Salesforce, losing the deal. Where now, if I have CapChase Pay in my back pocket, I could essentially say, hey, Matt, if you check out through CapChase Pay, you have the ability to pay monthly or quarterly. CapChase handles the billing and the collections and Salesforce gets the $40,000 minus a small financing fee upfront in their bank account. So that is CapChase, non-dilutive growth capital, our sales enablement tool called CapChase Pay. Those are our, our key features. Our team structure, half of our go-to-market team is based in New York. The other half is, is based in London. BDRs, AEs, customer success. When I started at CapChase, our go-to-market team was four. Now it's 20 plus. You can't create specialization when you only have four people. You can't have someone doing prospecting, someone doing closing, someone doing upsells. You need to bring in utility players who can do it all. And then once you start to really get product market fit, you start bringing in a healthy number of customers month over month, that's where you layer on specialization. And today our BDR team is structured where they handle inbound leads from partnerships and marketing. They do cold outreach to what we call target accounts. Once they're qualified, obviously passing them on to the account executives. Once the account executives get our clients to draw down on the line of credit, once it then moves over to our customer success team. So that's the structure we have in place today. Love that. There's so much to unpick there and particularly love the point around the utility players first before you go out and hire for those specialists. You've built up this revenue org. You mentioned obviously you've got East Coast, you've got a team in the UK. I'm working with a lot of SaaS customers at the moment who are trying to get this split of European expansion versus North American expansion. Share a bit more with us about the kind of evolution. What did the team look like in the real early days with those utility players? And how have you gone about piecing together the expansion playbook? Yeah. So at first we were really focused on the US market and that was just primarily due to the size of the, the SaaS community in the US compared to other markets. Again, we very much brought in utility players and th these were people that have early stage startup experience. They're not as specialized where they're just responsible for deal the logo. They wanted to dive in, help us figure out who our ICP is, right? In the very early days, we didn't know, did we want to focus on B2B SaaS, direct to consumer, e-com, et cetera. We brought in people that really enjoyed the early stage concept of figuring all of that out. So again, you know, we really focused on the US market because the TAM was larger. Over time, we built out that repeatable motion where we understood who we were going after, how you prospect a net new lead. We stood up some marketing campaigns. We understood what the closing component entailed, what that customer would need post-sale to grow the account, grow the ACV. And then from there, we decided to expand overseas and decided that London was, was a great place to build out that international office. Again, looking at the total addressable market, that there's a large SaaS community based in London. 
our first thought was actually to have a New York-based team that handled global sales. And we tried that for a bit, but what we noticed is there's a nuance to a lot of the international sales versus the U.S., Something that we, we've noticed is in London, some of the salesmanship or the urgency tactics that I think are notorious for software sales in the, in the States don't necessarily translate to overseas. It's a little bit more proper, buttoned up, and that's why we really decided to create two separate offices, US and, and London. Really interesting hearing these learnings, and I think it's really valuable stuff to hear there for founders who are going on this journey. Kind of reflecting on that journey, I'm assuming there were kind of speed bumps in the road. I mean, inflection points, like at what point did you realize that trying to sell globally out of East Coast was not going to work? Yeah, I mean, one was obviously time zone. We were having folks waking up super early in the morning to take calls with SaaS founders based in London. We were just noticing some burnout across the team when people are taking sales calls at 7 a.m., and then 7 p.m. working with founders in the Bay Area. So that was one. Two, we also noticed, and I don't know if this is universally thought of across the, the sales community, but setting very hard deadlines, using various urgency tactics. Throughout my career, I have found way more success working with U.S.-based companies, leveraging those tactics, where in Europe, it's a, a bit more relationship-driven. Longer-term relationships, in my opinion, are, are more valued than some of the sales tactics that we've used here in the U.S. So I would say burnout, where our sales team was working crazy hours to support multiple geographies, and then our conversion rates were not where they needed to be using U.S.-based salespeople working with international buyers. It's super interesting. It's a, a trend that we've seen quite a lot. Selling to the European market, as you know, is fairly nuanced. It sounds like you guys are focused mostly on the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's where our team is based. And that's where a majority of our international business comes from today. Because I think coming to Europe, selling into the UK market is one thing. I think then trying to take that out into multiple languages, multiple geographies within Dark, France, etc. comes with an additional level of complexity. It's a different beast, right? And as your learnings today share, there's nuances you've got to consider. Yep, totally. Out of curiosity, when you made that move into building out the team here in the UK, did you come over yourself? I mean, obviously, Journey, you're coming over pretty regularly at the moment, it sounds. What did that process look like? Did you come over with one of the founders? Was it yourself kind of spearheading that? Yeah. So the office had just been open when I started. I flew out there my second week on the job. And primary purpose was we held a couple local events to try to build out our brand name. The fintech community in the London area is, is very tight-knit. Also met with a bunch of recruiters, recruiting agencies. And then really the primary objective was just to get in front of as many candidates as possible. What we did prior to signing the lease and opening the office was we ran some outbound motions overseas to see if there was truly demand for our products and services. We did some paid campaigns. We built a TAM database of businesses that we thought would be a good fit. We reached out to them. We compared those conversion rates on paid media and outbound campaigns to a lot of our marketing efforts in the States. We noticed our conversion rates were actually higher. And then, yeah, again, we went out there and tried to meet with as many candidates as possible and, and hire as many A players as we could to build the foundation for that office. Sounds like a great approach. And I love the experimentation, running small scale experiments from your home base, validating the market before you then make the leap and take it over. I must confess, I've got a, a customer of mine at the moment who's originally from Boston, also leading a team on the East Coast, and is also monthly coming to London, oversee a team here, here in the UK as well. Talk us through how you structured the team setup. How do you split your time between those two regions? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting question, and it's something that we're putting a lot a lot of thought into in terms of team structure. But time allocation wise, I would say my time is spent probably sixty percent on the international team, forty percent on the U.S. team. The U.S. team has been built out for longer. We have more brand recognition in the states, so it doesn't need as much of my attention. So it's a 60-40 split, 60% on the international efforts, 40% domestic. The way we structured the international team is we didn't want to overhire. We didn't want to hire, you know, a million people, plug in a manager right away. We have a sales manager that oversees the sales team in the US. We have a customer success manager that oversees the CS team in the US. I served as the manager for probably my first six to eight months of the international team while also overseeing the US team. And as we started to acquire, you know, more logos, that would then equate to bringing on more account executives. And then we got to that inflection point. We actually promoted an account executive to oversee the international sales team. That makes a lot of sense. And it's fascinating to hear. I'm also fascinated by the fact that your job title, Jonas, your VP of sales and success. Yep. Hearing a lot of feedback in the market right now that perhaps the growth at all costs era that we've just departed last year, we perhaps emphasized too much recruitment on sales and perhaps not enough on customer success. And we're starting to feel some of the after effects of that. Talk through your perspectives on that, if you will. Yeah, that's a good one. So I would say biggest priority for myself is exactly what you just touched on is how do we shift the mindset internally from growth at all costs to efficiency? And if you go back to 2001, Every SaaS business was higher, 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 grow, grow, grow. We don't care how much money you're burning. As long as top line revenue is growing, awesome. You'll, you'll raise more capital six months from now and we'll figure it out. That has very much shifted. And for me, you know, internally, a lot of the metrics that we used to, re- whether it was you know, report to the CEO, to the board, was revenue growth month over month, quarter over quarter, very much shifting the metrics that we focus on. A few that I talk about is revenue per account executive versus revenue growth month over month. There's far more scrutiny internally on every lead, every deal, on efficiency, deal to logo conversion rates, not just how many logos did account executive A close. It was what was their deal to logo conversion rate? How efficient is this person compared to that person? So first part of your point there, it's it's definitely been a mind shift from growth at all costs to efficiency. With that being said, we've noticed it with a lot of our clients, and it's something that we're very focused on here at CapChase. It's much easier to grow an account than acquire a new account. It's it's far more efficient, and it's something that we're focused on. We've actually noticed that most of our successful clients are doubling down on customer success spend rather than doubling down on net new acquisition. Net new acquisition is far more expensive than growing an account. In fact, over the last couple of months, over 70% of our revenue is coming from our CS team with upsells versus net new. Keep in mind, we're in the lending business, which is a little bit different than traditional SaaS, but our CS team is a major, major revenue driver for our business. Yeah, that's spot on. And it's reflective of what we're seeing in the market. Super interesting insights to see that in the CapChase data that you're actually seeing much more capital being allocated to building out expansion roles rather than new logos. Do you see that continuing where we're now Q2 2023? It's a strange capital market, man. VCs are sitting on their hands. There's not much capital being deployed. Great news for you guys, I'm sure. How long do you think this is going to continue? Yeah, I know I know a lot of people have very strong beliefs on this topic. I don't have the crystal ball. I do think that a lot of the valuations thrown out over the last couple of years were pretty ridiculous. I've noticed, you know, definitely in, in my role, a lot of the revenue leader groups I'm a part of, Pavilion, GTM Fund, et cetera, 
I think people are definitely strapping in for a long ride of being focused more so on efficiency before growth at, at all costs. I enjoy it more. I think the growth at all costs mindset and not keeping tabs on your monthly burn and just saying, hey, VC will come in and support our growth. You're very much not in control of that situation. But if you're focused on efficiency, you're focused on revenue per account executive, and those numbers are going up and to the right, and you're scaling and growing responsibly quarter over quarter, I personally find that more enjoyable. And I'm actually hoping that this is a, a long-term trend where businesses are more focused on responsible growth rather than hiring 15, 20 people at a time. Totally. It feels like almost perhaps a bit more science and skill is required on us as revenue leaders. I almost felt like the growth at all cost phase was maybe a bit offensive, but you're like kind of dumb growth. It's like... Totally. It's, I, I don't think you need to be a genius to throw bodies at problems. Be like, cool, I need to grow $10 million. I'm going to hire 35 people. No rhyme or reason. I think wanting to double 4X ARR year over year responsibly, like that requires precision, skill, nuance, diving into the data, hiring the right people, not just laying off 20% of your organization because the economic landscape has, has changed. So I very much agree with you. So Jonah, we've covered everything from early career in sales, transitioning into leadership, getting yourself a seat at the table, making that case and putting yourself forward, taking ownership of your career. We've talked about the evolution of expanding across geographies, that UK, US, North American split. We've talked about team structure and how you've actually thought about positioning leaderships in different places. We talked about the alignment of sales and success as well and the importance of that moving forwards and also the emphasis on sustainable growth through 2023 and more investment in CS. I've enjoyed today's conversation. Could probably continue picking your brains for the rest of the afternoon, but would love to kind of throw it over to you and ask if there's one kind of key takeaway that you'd like to leave our listeners with today. Yeah, I think the first one is the shift to efficiency over growth. I think as revenue leaders, we have to do a good job sitting down with whether it's the board, our CEO, our VP of finance, very much explaining that focusing on, on efficiency and growth is impossible. So making sure that you have alignment across the broader leadership team on, hey, the goal 12 months ago was growing revenue 50% quarter over quarter. The new mindset shift to efficiency, that is going to impact the North Star. We need to make sure that there's alignment across the board, board, CEO, finance, sales, marketing, et cetera. With that shift to efficiency over growth, here are the new goals. Here are the new KPIs. Let's have alignment. Because I've noticed that a lot of revenue leaders, you know, myself included, there is the thought that we can keep growing while increasing profitability and margins. And that that is very, very, very challenging. My recommendation to revenue leaders, make sure your broader leadership team is truly bought in to the shift from growth at all costs to efficiency. With that being said, I do think that this is somewhat of a, a selfish plug. The reason why we created Cap Chase Pay specifically is to help shorten sales cycles and allow revenue leaders to recognize revenue faster. So if anyone is, is interested in, in getting in touch I'm happy to provide you know my contact information. A lot of our early customers on Cap Chase Pay have seen their sales cycles cut in half. 70 plus percent of their revenue is now being pumped through the tool. So very much product market fit for Cap Chase Pay and would love to help other SaaS revenue leaders speed up sales cycles. Super impressive stuff. Jonah, this has been an amazing episode. I really enjoyed the conversation today. For folks that want to reach out, that want to connect, assuming LinkedIn's the best place for them to do that. Yeah, LinkedIn's great. My email is jonah.mandel at capchase.com. 
pretty active on LinkedIn. Whatever works for you works for me. Amazing. Jonah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Look forward to grabbing some Indian food when you're next in London. Yep, I'll be out there the first week of June for Saster, so we'll have to get a meal on the books. Amazing, man. Looking forward to it. By uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation, and skills, UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue. The UHubs Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs, personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.